Where do you go from there? Anyway, morning, everyone. It's uh, great to be back with you again. Kev, thank you for uh, your introduction and, and, and leading us to, to where we are this far. I never knew you were such an expert on all things light, uh, lighthouses. And to be fair, I, I had that talk gone on much longer. I thought we would have had a bit more of a nautical nightmare. But so uh, there we are. There you go. I jest. I jest. It's, uh, it's been good. Thank you to everyone else who has uh, also taken part uh, in our service and our musicians uh, as well. Uh, as we uh, look up on screen, our, uh, we're going to see that our, our passage this morning is uh, Matthew chapter 21, and we're going to read uh, one of the parables that, uh, that Jesus told. Uh, and, and Jesus, when it comes to parables, he, he's the master storyteller. You know, most of you that will know me know that I can spin a yarn or two. You know, whether there's much fact in there is up for you to decide. But you will find out that Jesus is the, he's the master storyteller. His, his stories are always so on point. They're always so poignant. They always drill down right to the root of the problem. And you see, this morning's parable is is no different. The parable fits in a a series of three on human responsibility before God. So as we sit here this morning in glorious surroundings, in a a great day, have had a a laugh and been able to sing and, uh, and enjoy each other's company and enjoy what God has given us so far... We have to ask an honest question. Where does my responsibility lie uh, before God? And these, these, these parables that, we've, that you've looked at in previous weeks, and now the one that we're going to look at today, is part of this three on human responsibility. You see, Jesus, as ever, doesn't hold back on his judgment of the people. He doesn't hold back on his judgment of the situation, of, the, of what's going on, where the people are at. And so, as we read our passage together now from Matthew 21... Uh, it will be on screen. We will we'll see that, that, that we've got this incredible, uh, incredible passage, the, par- the parable of the, uh, of the tenants that Jesus is going to look at this morning. JJ, would you mind just taking the, the screen on uh, for me there? That would be much appreciated. So Jesus says these words. Here, another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a wine press in it and built a tower and leased it to the tenants, and went to another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. And again he sent other servants, more than the first, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and his, inter- and his inheritance. And they took him and threw him outside of the vineyard and killed him. You see, when, therefore, the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? And they said to him, that being the disciples, he will put those wretches out to a miserable death and let the vineyard to other tenants who will give him fruits in their seasons. And Jesus said to them, have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it was marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing fruit. Father, as we look at your word this morning, we ask you would uh, uh, illuminate it to us. Father, speak to our hearts and challenge us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So when it comes to this, uh, this world, let's put it into perspective. When it comes to this world and everything in it, I like to think of this picture. This picture of this potter this is god moving things and fixing things and storing things into place 
the ju- in a way that just only he can. And so that gives him the right, as the creator, as the master of everything, to tell us when things are right and when things are wrong. And so Jesus makes this point during the parable. He talks about a man who has a vineyard. This, this describes, he then describes this vineyard, this, this beautiful piece of grain that would, that would go on to produce fruit. It has a wine press, a tower, a wall, and so it goes on. And Jesus then says that the man leases it. That sounds like a very sensible business decision to me. Uh, and the people would have understood the, the idea of a wine press. It wouldn't have been a, a foreign concept to them. They would have been well aware of what, uh, uh, of what this meant, uh, of what it would have meant to have the, uh, the, the owner, would have leased it to a business, would have, could possibly have gone away. They would have understood all these things. Would it be too far-fetched to say that some of them may have well worked in vineyards themselves? I don't think so. Remember, Jesus was talking about a story that that mattered and meant things to people. So to help us understand the characters, and then not just understand the characters, but then apply it to us, let's look at each character uh, in in its entirety and then apply the passage to here uh, this morning. So we start with this landowner. The landowner, he buys uh, the vineyard and he puts everything in place. Then he leaves and he goes to a far country. You see, what Jesus is talking about with that time is to a time when, back in ancient history, in the Israelite history, there was a time when the glory of God that protected the nation of Israel departed. It talks about very clearly in the Old Testament. There was a time when the glory of God departed from Israel, and Israel was left to fend for itself. Now, as we look around the world this morning, we have to ask the question, I certainly asked the question of myself while I studied for this, is this nation suffering in the same way that Israel did and that the fact that the glory of God, the protection of God, is departing from us? It's a serious question that deserves time and it deserves discussion. Because I truly believe that as we see what's going on in our nation, the laws that are being passed and everything else that goes on, I truly believe that the Lord is slowly removing his hand of protection um, from, uh, from us. Now, it's, that's more my opinion but it could well be based in, uh, based in truth. But it's certainly uh, food for thought. So God has, has built the vineyard then. He's built this, this country, this place, this land that will, that will hold uh, the nation to live in. That they will, they will have homes and security. They will have a place where they can, they can live as God's people with no king, no government. Uh, the people that have a relationship, a friendship and a fellowship with God. Cast your mind back to the very beginning of Genesis, where it says that God walked with Adam in the cool of the day. That was the relationship that they were just, you know, let's make it a bit more with us. It's a sunny day outside. Adam would be lying on a sun lounger. You know, God would come walking, hi God, how you doing? That sort of thing. The relationship that's within it. That's what we were designed for. That's what this vineyard was built for, as a place for the, the people to have Uh, their relationship with God in. But those people would also be beneficiaries of God's promise, uh, that promise that God gave Abraham, that they would be a great nation. You see, the vineyard to to God was going to be a considerable investment. God wanted healthy plants that produced good fruit. God put a watchtower in place. We'll talk about lighthouses. Now we're talking about watchtowers. God had put a watchtower in place. A tower that provides shelter and storage. 
the book of Psalms calls God our strong tower. It has a wall to keep out pests and vermin. The whole point of a walled garden is to keep out things that aren't supposed to be there. A wine press for, for reaping the rewards of the vine. You see, the owner has made provision for everything to, 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 to succeed and to exceed. He is expecting a great crop. Let's apply that to us this morning. If we're Christians here this morning, God is your strong tower that has given us every advantage when it comes to our relationship with Christ. Our responsibility is to make sure that we, as believers in Christ, produce good fruit. Why? Well, it's very simple. Because Jesus himself lives in you and makes you complete. You might not feel like a vine producing fruit. You might feel like a measly little twig hanging on for dear life. But remember, Jesus does live in you. And so with that, you have the opportunity and the strength to produce good fruit. So let me remind you then from John uh, chapter 15, verse 16 and 17, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and your fruit should remain. You see, God was, was generous with Israel. Let's go back to our vineyard. God was generous with Israel and established them as a vineyard. And so if he did it with them, he will establish in Jesus us as people who produce fruit. You see, God, over the centuries, has, has made considerable investments in Israel. But the people kept turning their back on him. Yet because he is merciful and gracious, he forgave them time and time and time again. One of the most gracious things that we've seen in our, in our passage is this idea that God sends messengers or prophets, as Jesus calls them. They were depicted as servants of the landowner in the parable. You see, God sent many prophets to the land. And they all came with very much the same message, just packaged in different ways. And they came to the people, but they were ignored. And the people ignored their warnings, sometimes with, with extremely dire consequences. These servants or prophets came with messages directly from God. And they faced opposition, but they spoke of what was to come, be it judgment or be it blessing. You see, the servants, they suffered, and they were treated with contempt. What does it say in our passage? They beat one, they killed another, they stoned another. These prophets suffered at the hands of the people that God sent them to share his message with. You see, yet even with all this suffering, all this suffering the people inflicted on the prophets, they still came with a message of repentance, and in some cases. You see, Noah, prior to the flood, was sent with a message of escape, escaping the judgment that was to come. If you read the accounts of the prophets, they all came, uh, uh, met uh, horrible ends, dire ends at one point. And see, and Jesus picks up on this point in his parable. See, look at the love of God demonstrated in the servants. They are killed, and God sends another. They're killed, and God sends another. They're killed, and God sends another. You see, God is, has this continuing outpouring of love, this continuing outpouring of a desire for redemption. That was why he kept sending prophets. He kept sending these people with a message. So what does God do when all else seems to have failed? Does he decide enough is enough? And uh, he wipes out the world with some catastrophe or global disaster. 
No, what God does is send his son, the best, the man amongst men. I say quite freely, the God amongst men, the man who stands head, shoulders, and everything else above everybody else. And he sends Jesus, because ultimately all of these prophets have been sent with a message of repentance. They all came with a message of repentance. God has given them another chance. The disobedience to God is sin. And it's something that we all suffer with. And God has given us his son. The character that we are going to look at later on. With a message of repentance. And he offers a chance to turn back to God. You see, nothing stops the love of God. It keeps coming. Tsunami after tsunami. Tidal wave after tidal wave. And eventually, the final word comes. And the last of all, God sends his son. For now, though, Jesus is making his point about the parables. He's talking about the religious leaders and the fact that they have twisted and changed God's law. They've applied their law to God's. They've applied their statutes, their extra bits, their version 2.176.A, for those of you that are into, into document protection. Those sort of things. They've applied all these extra bits. Nobody was going to argue with them. They were the religious leaders. They were supposed to be the godly people of the day. Yet they added their own law to suit their own agenda. Their own power and influence was important to them. There's an expression known to many that power tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts absolutely. You see, these men have turned their back on God and set their hearts on their own selfish ambitions. So when the time has come for harvest, God sends prophets into the land of Israel. There's masses of prophecy in the Old Testament. And that's where mostly about the warnings that come from that would happen to God's people if they continue to disobey him. The warning that stood then stands now for God's people. Let's make this real. Is that you this morning? Are you a person that God has been speaking to? That the nagging voice inside your head that makes you question things? That sermon that you hear that makes you sit up and take notice? That moment where somebody says to you, or somebody talks about a general situation, and you get that point where you realize, how do they know that? How is he speaking to me? How has how he applied that? Let me tell you, friends, this morning, that that is the voice of God challenging you as to where you stand before him. Remember I said these parables fit in the point of our responsibility towards God. And it is our responsibility to act when we hear the voice of God. We either submit or we reject. You see, the vineyard rejected God's message and it was destroyed. If you don't have a relationship with God here this morning, you have a choice to make. Either accept God's message and submit your life to Christ or face separation. Separation from God for eternity. So the last character then is when we come to in this this parable is the son, Jesus The landowner, our our pastor says, sends his son. And he should have been respected, esteemed, worshipped, honoured, glorified. Instead, what does the word of God say? He was despised and rejected of men. A man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And yet in all these things, he still came with a message of repentance. See, Martin Luther had these words to say, If I were God and they treated me the way they treated him... I would have kicked the wretched things to pieces. 
If I were God and they treated me the way they treated him, I would have kicked the wretched things to pieces. So here was the son. Here was the heir. The one who was to claim his father's inheritance. He arrived at the vineyard. He should have come with respect. And instead, as he was in our passage, he was killed. For the way they treated his son, God could have rightly chosen to destroy the world. Yet what else does Isaiah say? He chose the cross. And so they mistreated him and killed him. They did their best to destroy him. Yet it was God's plan of redemption. Isaiah says it was God's will to crush him. You see, it was by design. It was by God's hand and under God's authority. And Jesus told them and questioned them, Have you not read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The thing that holds the whole plan of salvation together. You see Jesus becoming the cornerstone. The stone that holds the whole thing together. Let me ask you a question. What holds you together this morning? When life falls apart, when it hurts, when you can't explain why, what holds you together? Or, the time that we often forget, what holds you together when you're enjoying your walk on Painting Seafront this afternoon? What holds you together? Is it the cornerstone? Is it Christ? Or is it something else? You see, because the Bible says that it was the Lord's doing and it was marvelous in our eyes. But you see, there is a theme of rejection all the way through this parable. The landowner being rejected when the harvest wasn't collected. The servants being rejected by being killed or stoned. The son himself being rejected by the people that killed him. And yet all of this rejection, when it comes to Christ, is flipped completely on its head because the rejected son becomes the highest of all. This cornerstone is a stone of a new building. It is the object of not just inspiration, not just the fulfillment, but the source of salvation itself. Jesus is the rejected son. Jesus is the rejected stone. And Jesus becomes the permanent cornerstone of God's permanent building. You see, God has a new nation, a new kind of people, a people who have believed on Jesus and repented of their sin and who call him Lord. Yet God will remember the Israelites, his own nation, his own people, and they will have their place. 1 Peter reminds us that Christians are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. We are a people saved and redeemed by God only if we have put our faith and our trust in him. So as I close this morning, look what God has done for us. More than we can ever deserve. More than we can ever ask for. More than we can ever expect What is your response? What is my response this morning? Do we, like the people in the parable, reject or do we submit? I pray that all of us will submit to God this morning and give our lives to him in one of two ways. Either for the first time or in a time where we give our lives back to God if we have wandered away. 
So I want to give you an opportunity to give your life to Christ this morning. And while we'll sing our, our final song together, listen to the voice of God if he has been speaking to you this morning. Submit your lives to him. And if you do that, find me afterwards. As you can tell, I'm not a difficult man to find. Find me afterwards. If I'm talking to somebody, butt in. I would much rather talk to you this morning if you have given your life to Christ. If I am talking to somebody else and that person comes to me, you've had it. We'll catch up another time. But the fact is this. This morning, you have the opportunity to give your life to Christ, to say sorry to God and to repent for what you've done. Ask him to change you from the inside out. Or it could be the fact that you are in a position where you and God are not seeing eye to eye. You've wandered away. We all do it from time to time. The Bible says we are like sheep who have gone astray. We wander off. We follow after other things. We're daft, just as daft as sheep are. Well, I am anyway. You should see me when I've got woolly hair. But here we have the opportunity. Here we have the opportunity to get to say sorry to God, to repent and to turn back and give our lives to him, or also to recommit, to come back and say to God, I'm sorry, I want to carry on my life with you. So our final song this morning is one of response uh, to what I believe that God has been saying. It's certainly something that's challenged me as I've put it together. Uh, It's Cornerstone. Christ alone, Cornerstone, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but holy what? Trust in Jesus' name. Take this opportunity. We'll sing it as a song of response, uh, and then I'll draw our time to a close. Let's stand and uh, stand and sing.